0: Welcome to the Mile 40 Podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, author of Break Barriers, How Setbacks Can Dare You Rather Than Define You, which is sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journeys. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Today's episode of mile 40 is brought to you by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. In the midst of fatherhood, marathon training, writing, and building the mile 40 community, I tend to be forgetful of feeding myself. And that's why I lean on HelloFresh. Whether your resolution is to save money, eat better or stress less, HelloFresh is there to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef crafted recipes at a price you'll love delivered to your front door. This time of year, everyone's looking to revamp their eating habits. Look to HelloFresh's wholesome health forward options, like over 30 calorie smart and protein smart recipes each week. They say breakfast is the most important meal of the day and HelloFresh agrees. In fact, they're giving all subscribers free breakfast for life. That means you'll enjoy a totally free breakfast item with every single HelloFresh delivery. Now that's worth waking up for. Go to HelloFresh.com slash mile40podfree and use code mile40podfree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. Once again, that's free breakfast at HelloFresh.com slash mile40podfree with code mile40podfree. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 Podcast. Thank you all for continuing to tune in. Uh, Just a quick note, uh, if you check out the show notes, I do have a discount code for Audacious. Check it out. It is for the Mile 40 community. I want to thank you all for continuing to support the book launch. Um, Next, if you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe, follow, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it may be. Today's guest is Anthony Crucelli. I'm very excited for today's guest. Uh, he's a soccer player turned top fitness expert. Anthony has transformed the traditional workout setup into a holistic transformation of mental and physical growth. One rep at a time is the ideology. He's the founder of The One Method. He's also the VP of talent and content at Lightboxer. You've seen him coaching at top fitness studios such as Grit, Rumble, Barry's Bootcamp, and Equinox. He's got 10 plus years of boxing training experience and has various certifications inside the fitness space. Lastly, he's been featured in USA Today, NBC, Shape Magazine, and Reader's Digest. Anthony, thank you for joining me, my friend.
1: What a long bio! (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was the most media deck bio I think my person's ever set out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I make a lot of jokes about the bios, and I mean, I didn't butcher it, but I, I definitely needed a breath at the end of that one.
1: I apologize. It could have been so much a short, sweet. Hey, he's a guy from New York. He inspires people. Bada
0: bing, bada boom. (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, So for the listeners out there, um, I've taken class with Anthony over the years, um, and Immediately, uh, you know, being in his class, you can notice there's a distinguishing feature about the way that he coaches. Um, and that's one thing that truly stands out about about you, Anthony. Uh, but for today's episode, I really want to dig into that, and I want to, you know further understand how you got there. I want to understand if the reason why you focus on the humanity behind fitness is because of a certain ideology or because of experience um yeah. and and that's really where we want to get at today so why don't you give us a little bit background on yourself um with regards to how you got to where you are today
1: yeah so um it all kind of came out of nowhere i was playing um college ball playing soccer uh, that ended abruptly and we'll get to that down the line and then from there i transitioned into the art space and then i found myself at Barry's and equinox at the same time i was training a ton of clients at equinox and then I started doing these kind of ab lab classes that they had at Equinox, which was free for members. And somebody there was a Barry's client and they were like, hey, you should teach at Barry's. You have great energy. You're commanding the room. Um, but you also have personality, which is something that they're very keen on there. And I was like, wow oh. took like two classes at Barry's and I was hooked. Um, and to this day, I will say that they have one of the best communities out there. They're just so loving and and full on with their people. Um, was there for maybe a little under a year and then transitioned over to rumble i was uh trainer number 10 there so when they were getting things opening up uh kind of came on right after their founding team and then their first batch of trainers um and then from there i kind of explored that for about two years before going over to performance house was there for a little while and then met a diva who has been on the show before and the great people over at grit to where i am today so um a little bit of how this all kind of came and my style of teaching I think I had a little bit of imposter syndrome when I got to New York City, right? You're teaching in big New York City boutique fitness studios. And you kind of look around and you're just trying to take as many mental notes of what the top people are doing as opposed to working on yourself. And that was the biggest thing. I was just like taking these little codes from as many trainers as I could find and then was trying to build a bot inside myself as opposed to just being Anthony like from Teaneck, New Jersey, the guy who's going to like check in on you in and after class and then ask you how your family's doing and I think you talked about humanity like that's where it all clicked at grit I the first day I was at grit during the cooldown I did this like word of the day that just came out of nowhere um And I talked about being living in Hoboken and just moving there. And four people after class were like, we just moved to Hoboken. And it was that first moment that I had where I got to genuinely talk to people. And they kept coming back to class. And the after class thing just kind of became this place where I felt like it was safe to vent. And then by venting, other people were able to kind of just join me on that, whether it was just listening or seeking to understand or whatever that might be. And that's where the word of the day came. And that's kind of where I built my own kind of thing that I do now, which is just human connection through sweat. And that's the biggest thing I try and push into people is that sometimes you don't have to have all the bells and whistles, but if you can tap more into community, you'll be a more successful trainer because people show up for people. And it's more than the weights and the treadmill and the boxing combos.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there was something about it. You know, I remember the first time um, I was in class and, and you did the word of the day, something about it at first where you're like, what, what's happening? And then immediately it becomes disarming. Um, and it's a really good feeling because as you know, like New York is all hustle and bustle. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're in class, the heart rate is pounding. Uh, people are probably, you know, there's different levels of experience in the class. There are people that are uh, vets, and then there are people that are probably in there for their first couple of boutique fitness sessions. And um, there's something definitely unifying about that, um, uh, regardless of level. Um, and and that's one of the things that that stood out for me. Um, let's circle back to college ball. Where did you play?
1: So I played at uh, Holy Family University in Philadelphia, uh, Division II school. Um, we played schools like Chestnut Bridge. We played Bloomfield, trying to think of who else was really good in our conference. Wilmington, schools like that. And my career there kind of halted really quick for two reasons. One, I my freshman year just was not stead strong on... academics i kind of was like i'm playing ball and i'm going to school free and this is great and i definitely did that like freshman year of not the smartest moves and then there was a little back-end situations that happened with a bunch of of my teammates we were playing in this kind of like men's league that was very much so with a bunch of d1 d2 d3 athletes where if you won you got a little bonus and if you didn't win you just didn't get anything. It was like a means yeah. a, over 40 um, that had some guest players come play and there was cash and stuff like that. And it got back to a lot of our coaches. And we were kind of on this, um, on this brief investigation for a while that ended up going off to the side, but we were halted from playing our second year. So for me, it was kind of tough because I was in this weird limbo place of like, Hey, something is happening. I can't yeah. play ball at the moment. So what do I do? My grades are in the toilet. So it's yeah. not like I can get that academic reassurance or financial assistance. Um, so that's probably when I hit my lowest because my whole life was soccer. Right? I, I grew up playing. Come from uh, my mom was single mom for a while. with me and my sister before she met my stepdad. My mom was also part of you know that entire Madoff situation where she almost lost everything, filed oh, wow. bankruptcy. A lot of moments where we're living paycheck to paycheck in a middle-class town. So that's also a weird thing where I'm so grateful for where I grew up. I'm grateful that I grew up in a safe space. But we definitely also had imposter syndrome there, where everyone in the town is seems like they're perfectly fine. And behind those closed doors, you have no idea that you're eating the same meal for 5 days a week. And you're watching your mom work 3 or 4 jobs. My stepdad got hurt in a sheet metal factory, essentially was disabled, and then started like going to the rec center and like scoring basketball games to make cash Mm. and that's when you kind of start realizing oh wow like i gotta i can't mess this up because this is my only ticket out which sounds crazy in like a middle class situation because you sit there normally and you're like well you're not living in poverty you're not living in this this and this but in reality we were we were living in poverty we just had you know the house in the suburbs that didn't look like it was that so um It was hard to get out of that. And then also that that's the additional pressure, right? Madoff situation happens, family loses everything. And then the next year I go to college. And then that following year, I'm back at square one,
0: Mm. no
1: college, no ball. Got to start paying for everything out of pocket. Got to start doing all the financial situation stuff. Um, And what I just did in that moment was I took a moment to sit back and go work at, you know, at a restaurant that I worked at before. And I met some other people who were in similar situations, people who had to stop, you know, their college education because they couldn't afford it. So they needed to work again. I met some other people who just made also tough decisions in their lives that got them to a situation where they weren't where they were and they needed to go back to, you know, a situation where they could work and make money again. So I think I found myself around people who also were starting at that square one which is kind of what got me out of everything. Then from there, got my feet back on, went to a small school called Kane University uh, in New Jersey in the Union area. I went there for about six to seven months. And then I, funny enough, got into the arts, which I know this is a crazy Troy Bolton moment, um, but I grew up singing and I was at Kane And I started doing the shows at Kane. And then while I was in the shows at Kane, there was a graduate who was on the national tour of the adventures of Tom Sawyer and was like, hey, we're looking for a replacement. Is there anyone at Kane that wants to submit for this? I submitted. Then I went to the audition in New York, went to the callback, and then I booked the job and I dropped out of school on Thanksgiving, which sounds crazy. You're probably like, what the heck is this guy's life? Keep going. Uh, I'm not stopping you. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) But in that moment, the beauty was I went on tour. It was a non-union tour, um, very much so pack and go, not one of those glorious Broadway tours. But I got to work with people, funny enough, who went to some of the top musical theater programs in the country. And they still were in this tour with me who was kind of lost and trying the arts for the first time. And I met some of my closest friends on that tour who I still talk to today. um, And they encouraged me to start pursuing this more. So I went to a thing called Unifieds in New York City and I auditioned for about 20 programs, um, got into a lot, thank goodness, uh, and decided on Montclair State. And I went there for two years, great program. Uh, Right after school, I worked consistently and in parallel, once I kind of was at the tail end of running out and doing regional theater and everywhere I could, I started working at Equinox, which is then where everything kind of transitioned to the fitness industry, where I took the performative side of the arts and my fitness background and was able to marinate them. So I always say, my class has a lot of, and you've been to it, yeah. a lot of moments on the beat drops where the lights explode and there's queuing and there's forecasting. It's kind of like reading a script, right? They kind of go parallel and hand in hand. And that's the beauty of my background in the arts is that I can hear an 8-count and understand BPMs. You could put a song on, I could teach an entire round, no problem. But that's the beauty also of luckily stumbling into the arts. I don't think I would be the same instructor I am today or teach in that same style if I didn't have that layer of understanding humanity like you do in the arts and being an empath and understanding emotion and being vulnerable and stuff like that.
0: Wow. I mean... That- You know, it's funny for the listeners out there. I I do usually get a good sense of my guests before I come on. But what I love about this show is they come on and then this happens. Like I was not expecting Eighty percent of what came out of your mouth to come out of your mouth. The (laughs) the Madoff thing we're gonna have to dig into a little bit. You know, the dropping out of school, and then you know, uh, the 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 idea of mixing the arts and fitness completely makes sense to me now. You know, now that you say it, it it totally makes sense as it comes together. I'm gonna want to dive into a couple of things, but let me think about this because I want to ask you where the athlete mentality played a role. In getting you through those ups and downs, because yeah. it's clear that, you know, and you said it yourself, like your identity was modeled on being a soccer player for the majority of your younger life. And clearly that never went away. So I wanna go there. But before we go there, let me just ask you some questions, some things yeah. to clarify here. Yeah. Let's go back to pre college. Forgive me, I
1: forget what year the Madoff scandal was. What year was that approximately? It was like 2008 ish. So it was like 2008. Right around the the financial crisis. crisis. Yeah. So 2009, it all kind of went layered in.
0: Got it. So so around then, you know, your mother was a single mother at the time. She hadn't, no.
1: Yeah. yeah, She was already with my stepdad at that time. She was
0: already with your stepdad at that time. And they, you know, they both, made the decision to invest with Madoff at that
1: time? Or was this... My, it was all my mom's. So it was it was my, moms. I think my mom's 401k, my mom's... All that kind of stuff. It was through the company that... She, my mom's an accountant. So whatever... Ah, uh, it was through I the company. Was, yeah. So got like, everyone got, got wrecked. My, my stepdad worked in a sheet metal factory, very much so blue collar guy. Um, but at that time, was disabled. Like got already it. fully out of work, on medical, all that kind of stuff.
0: Got it. Okay. So now walk us through what you remember from her finding out what happened and how it impacted her. Because,
1: you know, well, a lot of us don't know how that went down. Yeah. I, re- I remember this distinctly. I remember we, I came home and my mom was home early and she was in the kitchen. And I was kind of a, you know, a wise guy every once in a while. And I, me- I remember making a small joke just about the day. And like, normally she laughs or she'll say something like, You're being fooled, whatever it is. And I remember saying something and I got nothing. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And I remember going to my dad and my dad just looking at me and shaking his head. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna give some space. And then I remember that night sitting at the dinner table, my mom just didn't have words. And it was very weird. And honestly, when she kind of broke down what happened, I still didn't understand it, right? I didn't have in high school, we weren't learning about finance. We weren't learning about the stock market. We weren't learning about any of this kind of stuff. So when she was like, "Hey, this huge, you know, financial breakdown happened." I think it was like Bear Stern, all these other yep. companies. Yeah, yeah. Bear Stern, Bear Stern's collapsed, and then you exactly know, the, the market collapsed. Yep. So she was saying it, and in my head, I was like, "Okay, so like maybe my mom's client just did really bad, right. and like she's getting yelled at at work." Is what I'm thinking. And then I remember slowly in the forthcoming weeks, learning more and more about it at the dinner table. She would talk about like pretty much like the general thing of it and then we would leave the dinner table and then they were talking very quietly which in my space is thinking we need to do this 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 and i remember about 2 months after everything went down i was getting ready for another year of travel ball with my my soccer team and i just remember in the past my mom was very like nonchalant about like yeah like we're we're doing it no problem whatsoever i remember that year she was like and i don't know if we can do this. And I was like, what? And she was like, I don't know if we can do this. And funny enough, fast forward until everything happened at Holy Family and I left, mm-hmm. she talked about filing for bankruptcy at that time. And that was very hard because I think in college, I was like, oh, you, not that she put a blanket on any much. I think she was protecting us by telling us what she needed to tell us and not overwhelming us. But that window of time was really hard because. I remember I switched over to a club team that essentially they had funding and sponsors that paid for that. So it made it a little easier on that space, but it also was a really tough time because I even think about it now, like now I understand exactly what happened. And I've seen obviously show movies like the big short and I understand how it kind of went down. But at that time it was very touch and go. And I kind of just remember like, we didn't you know, go out for a long time. We ate a lot of the same meals for a long time. Yeah. We didn't go to that sounds so stupid, but like target every yeah. you know every week we started doing a lot of things where my mom was like, Hey, we just can't afford that right now. And she would say it very like calmly. So I think what she did as an incredible mother that she is was just allowed it to be surface level, even though it was bigger. And that it talks about the in a lot, a lot of space.
0: Okay. So at what point did you grasp what was going on? I mean, cause now you talk about the Holy family situation. Yep. Uh, I, I imagine the two situations kind of collided. And
1: uh, was there any, you know, backlash there? You know, I think throughout? it was the, I didn't realize the magnitude until I left Philadelphia and left school because then it was like, oh, you, can, we can't afford college. Mm-hmm. So now you've got to figure it out, not in a rude way, but just yeah. in a, hey, we, we, this finan- is the reality of the situation, so, This is the reality. So you've got to go work and figure that out and then be able to find a local state school that you can commute to which was Kane which was great I yeah. went there for I think a little under a year I was there um but it was great because I was able to work and then drive about 45 minutes to Union I was living in New Milford at the time yeah. so it wasn't you know that but I had to grow up somewhere Yeah it sounds crazy you, know, you,
0: you talk about coming from a middle class family and, and and a lot of times the idea of middle class it almost feels like a gray area, right? Because, and we talked about that earlier. Yeah. And so that jump into full independence for some, you know, it doesn't happen until much later in the middle class. And for some, it happens, you know, abruptly kind of in, in this situation right here. Um, so up until that point, is it fair to say that um, your your mother took care of you financially for the most part up until that point?
1: Kind of. I mean, I had a full ride to school, yeah. so I didn't have to pay. I think what... But like what, outside of school, like high school, for instance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I worked at like, you know, your local yeah. like snack stands and stuff like that at the baseball yeah. fields and the soccer stadiums and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But my mom, yeah, 100%. And my stepdad too. That was another yeah. thing that they... But I think it, it's a catch-22, right? He was already on disability. If yeah. he was fully working in his still blue collar sheet metal factory job, maybe it would have been a little different, but I think he was out of work, collecting disability. She went through what she went through. Also, if I wasn't playing sports, what else would have happened? I would have had to, at 17, Yeah. Be, all right, cool. And this is the other saving grace was I committed to my school a year ahead of time. Yeah. Even though after I committed, there were other schools that kind of came into the picture. I was very like, I'm staying with my guys. I'm going to the school. If, the, if I didn't have ball, I don't know what would have happened. Honestly, I think it, I would not be where I am today, right? Because I had a year to at least get out of the nest, grow up. And even when I was at school, I will tell you this. I had my, you know, all my tuition was paid. My books were paid, right. all that kind of stuff, housing. I still worked at Wawa. Yeah. I still did that because I wasn't at that time getting any money from mom, to be able to go out, right? My mom was very keen on like work study, do that. So I found a job at Wawa, and then I did work study, and that's how I paid for all my like going out in college. I, I smirked a little bit because
0: I haven't been to a Wawa in years. I mean, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm from New York, so yeah. but uh,
1: everywhere now you got them. In yeah, Africa. you got them everywhere now.
0: Yeah, uh, Wawa is great. Uh, highly yeah. recommend it for anyone listening that hasn't been to a Wawa. So that that kind of that makes a lot of sense sense now contextually. So. Amongst the team, did anyone know what you were going through at this point? I mean, because clearly everything's kind of like even even amongst the players, you know there's a lot going on, there's chaos all over um and i and I think about back to my college days, and you know when you're when you're an athlete on campus, you know that that masks a lot of what's going
1: on below the surface um and so please speak really to that a little. To- bit? I didn't get really... It was interesting. I, I, My teammates were amazing. Yeah, I just... A lot of them were like, in a great way, like they come from Philly, Catholic, blue collar families. So I think a lot of people also didn't understand the magnitude maybe of what was going on because there just wasn't a lot of similarity. Also, a lot of international kids. Mm. That's the thing. When, you, when you're D1, D2, you have that funding. You're bringing in a lot of international oh, kids. Right. And a lot of kids, like, I think... Because I didn't understand the magnitude of what was happening until I left school. Yeah, I don't think I was open to expressing, hey, I'm going through this because I was just at work studying and working at Wawa. And to yeah. me, I was making what, 300 bucks a week. I was like, I'm balling. This is great. But at the same time, I think I wasn't, I didn't fully grasp it. I think if I didn't have ball, if I just had to pay for that school myself, I would have vocalized that more. Yeah. I had the the luxury and the incredible opportunity of having a a scholarship. I was able to work and do work study. You know, I think if I didn't have those things, I would have vocalized that more. But also like a lot of kids on my team, like I said, were just blue collar families. And I think they kind of were just working in, you know, normality of the life. It didn't hit them as hard, maybe. And then, like I said, a lot of international kids. Yeah. No,
0: that makes sense. Uh, well, not, now we, now we have a really good picture here of where you were at that point. And it all comes back to Anthony, the athlete, Anthony, the soccer player, because now you've been dealt this hand. Uh, mm-hmm. and I have to imagine that being dealt this hand with your background in athletics had to give you an ability to adapt pivot that may have differentiated you among some other people. In this situation, so I kind of want to dive into that a little bit around how your background as an athlete um, helped you approach, um, you know, those
1: down moments. Yeah, it was interesting. I think when I left school, and you're going to laugh at this, and I went to that restaurant, I found new teammates Mm. and I paparazzi. It's not there anymore. It was in the Garden State Plaza. If you listen to this and you work there, shout out to everybody who's there. But I had a really good manager who was older who went through a lot of stuff in his life, battled a lot of inner demons and came out and was now a general manager of a massively successful restaurant. And I think I just worked with people who were getting back on their feet. So I had a lot of teammates who I could talk to about this. I I mean, my vocalization was I dropped the ball with my grades and I dropped the ball with playing in a league that I shouldn't have been playing in. Right. And I think a lot of other people were like, I dropped the ball with my grades too. I went to Rutgers and I dropped out and now I'm going to Bergen Community and I'm, I'm working at this restaurant. Or some other people were, hey, I was battling alcohol and drug addiction and I had to exit that out and come back to working in a restaurant to find structure again. Right? That was my weird way of taking my athletic teammate and that camaraderie and then pivoting in this new space where I had to figure out who I was, but I wasn't alone. I was able to be vulnerable like I was with my teammates on the pitch, now just in this restaurant. And then from there, they were so many supportive people who were like, dude, go apply here. Go apply here. You should apply at this school. I know somebody at this school. And that's the teammates that I did, never thought I was going to have, but I found in this new place that helped me pivot.
0: Hmm. Um, and you, know, you talk about finding your identity, which I think you had mentioned earlier on once you kind of came to that cross-section uh, of the arts and fitness. Yeah. Was that where it all came together in terms of like, all right, like this is, this is how I'm going to establish myself.
1: It clicked at grit. Like, yeah. it, that, like I said, but that Hoboken story with my four yeah. friends who funny enough introduced me to my wife were at my yeah. wedding. These people who I met at grit in this class talking about Hoboken as a general person. That's when I think it all clicked. And I was like, oh, I know who I am now. I'm not doing like I talked about before the coding of taking what every top trainer does and then trying to be a robot. I think when I was just Anthony and I was able to like freely speak in class and do me, yeah. I was like, oh, I get this. This is where it is. And that's also the beauty, though, of being able to have those, you know, trial runs at places like Barry's and at Rumble and at Performance House, right? I was able to like dip my toes into it. And then I went to grit and I was able to be like, wow. I get to be me, and I get to do what I want to do, and I'm finally kind of in love with this that's inc- that's incredible
0: you know one other thing comes to mind around this story in particular was and you know I, again, going back to you never think you're going to talk about these topics until you really dive in, yeah. but you know you worked yourself out of a pretty disparate situation there and in in knowing you at the surface level from you know seeing the way that you stand in front of a room and that you project i feel like you know you've got your priorities in line because of the adversity that you went through um and it tells me that you know you're not afraid of you know being down on your luck whether it be financially or whether it be you know a, a shake up uh, in your career because you've already kind of seen what it's like navigating that. Um, Speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think what what I started doing in 2019 was I started giving myself proper grace, right? Everybody in life goes through stuff. And if you just keep weighing on your situation and letting it be almost a crutch, you're never gonna get out of it. So what I started doing was realizing that, hey, I got out of this hard situation in multiple stages of my life. And then I'm just going to take life one day at a time. I'm going to try and be the best version of me today and not so much focus on what happened yesterday or the week before and think about the chapters ahead. And that comes from structure, like you said, right? You kind of like, am a very type A person in that space. But I also think it just comes from giving yourself a little grace on, on the daily to be like, hey, if I, if I stumble today, I trust in myself that I can pick myself up and that I don't got to be perfect. I just got to be present on the day to day
0: let's say the Holy family situation never happened and you were going to school, you were going to play soccer. You know, you said that your academics weren't really up to par. Um, Did you envision that you would be doing what you're doing uh, at any point when you were younger or did this all kind of happen naturally um, and you embrace it along the way? Like, did you think you were going to go to college, play soccer, graduate, you know, get a career, make money, maybe live in the city and, you know, carry on from there.
1: I I mean, I definitely don't think the musical theater part in there, Yeah, (laughs) you know, I think when I was in Philly, I was going to school for sports marketing. So I think I always wanted to work in sports, whether it was like being a soccer agent or working at the MLS or any other kind of industry, the fitness industry, funny enough, I didn't fully think I wanted to do until I took that first Barry's class where I was like, whoa, these people are like in leading this room of 50 people, high energy. A lot of people, and you know this, in New York are, are incredible athletes. Like just yeah. people who work a normal night the best. are nuts. And I was so addicted to that energy where like you would leave a Barry's class and you'd see like 15 people on a treadmill sprinting at a 15 and you're like, I need to be around this. I'm addicted to this. So I think growing up, I knew that I wanted to be around that kind of energy. I didn't know exactly if it was going to be in the boutique fitness space, but I think I knew always that I wanted to be around that. Because I also, in high school growing up, I was very lucky. I had a couple of friends whose dads worked in the MLS. Mm. So they were always like, they just had that energy about them. They were so passionate about their work and talking about work in the sports industry. And it's very similar to the fitness industry. They kind of go parallel with that energy in the nine to five. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. Um,
1: uh, Do you still play soccer at all?
0: Uh,
1: I stopped during the right after the pandemic and I still play like I kick around with my friends here and there that you're going to laugh at this. There's another fitness professional, Nick Pags, if you're out there. I remember this distinctly. We were playing sevens on top of Chelsea Piers and he got taken out. And I remember in that moment, I was like, we all have to go to work tomorrow. Like, I remember he got laid out and he's a big guy. I mean, he's he's huge. Um, and he got back up, obviously, him being Nick. But in that moment, I was like, Oh, oh, I'm over this. Like, I'm not getting paid for this. I was like, my insurance probably isn't gonna cover my torn ACL if that happens. Like, we gotta go to work tomorrow. Let's just chill this on out. And I think what I do now is if I do kick the ball around, it's in like a men's league. I live in Hoboken, so it's like right by the viaduct. People are so chill. There's no slide tackling, it's very, very low key. So yeah, I've kind of given off. Give, stepped away from like the hard ball and kind of moved over to like, let's have some fun and kick the ball around.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. How old are you now? 31. You're 31. 32. Yeah.
1: Oh, goodness. I'm 32. I mean,
0: <laughs> dude, I, it all, it all, it all blurs together. together 30.
1: But uh, I, will say I picked up running recently, which is, okay. and that's kind of been a little bit of a newfound exhale through people. Like nope. at grit, max carp runs nope. all the time. He is, doing iron man's he's a beast yep. um but stuff like that got me into it and i was like i'm starting to feel like an athlete again i'm doing a lot of cross training and the running layers of it have been fun it's definitely new and you have to get through that like breaking point of like i say like once i did my first 10 miler i was like all right like i know how this kind of feels now and a 10 miler by yourself yeah. with just a little music on and you by yourself is i mean you know this you've done Ironmans. like you get to that first like wall and you're like, Oh, okay, cool. I can start enjoying this now. So now we run and I do these like conversational community runs in Hoboken where people just come. I saw that. I saw that you did one the other day. Yeah. We're doing at 4 PM. And what I do is every half mile, I tell people to switch. So they just meet somebody new. So they're able to just like create friendships through running. I'm never going to be... Or I don't know if I'm ever going to be, but I don't think I'm going to be the guy who runs, you know, 540 miles, six minute miles, runs crazy marathon sub three. But I think what I, what I like doing is just seeing a group of people try something and be able to get through it together and then grab a coffee after or break bread. And that's kind of been the rewarding part of running is that like I'm not putting so much pressure to hit times. I'm kind of giving myself a whole lot of grace and I'm saying, let's build some friendships through it because if you move you're going to be able to connect.
0: It's awesome. And and what's awesome about it is just how naturally it came into your life and how naturally the way that you're approaching it is for your community, it, it doesn't it it just feels right. Like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like work, it doesn't feel forced, it doesn't feel whether either for you or for the community that you're building. You know, I I'm, I did see it the other day, you know, you posted one of them and you know, I thought to myself, like, I would, I would totally join one of these runs. I mean, I, I got to trek out to Hoboken, which I would for you, but I, I gotta, I gotta get out there. I mean, there's definitely a lot of appeal to it. And, um, you know, as we round things out here, we talked about the entire trajectory. We learned a lot about you here. You recently got married, uh, which I think is important to kind of just touch on really quickly around how, your experience that you kind of really faced individually for the most part in terms of you know finding yourself coming into your own finding that identity leaning into it establishing yourself i mean grit opened just a couple of years ago um so it wasn't like you know 10 15 years ago where this happened and then taking that identity and then partnering It up with somebody else to build that future. Speak to that a little bit with regards to uh, how the lessons that you've learned through your own journey have now played a role in helping
1: you, you know, kind of build your future journey. Yeah. Uh, My wife's most famous line, but it's how I fell in love with her, is seek to understand. Mm. And I think that was the biggest thing that I kind of, since meeting my wife, used to take on situations sometimes from an emotional standpoint. And she gave me that like perfect piece of just being like, seek to understand, right? You have no idea that what that person's decision might've been because they could have had a bad morning. They could have stubbed their toe. They could have had this, you know, a terrible event that happened the day before, which led to their action today. I think the best part of marriage that my wife has taught me is that everything, I don't have to put so much weight on myself. and. I think I always talk about this. Like, you don't have to be perfect. You just got to be present and willing to grow. She has pretty much pushed that on me because I used to try and be strong for us or uh, put together or whatever that is. And she was like, "Just be you." Like, I love you for you. I love you for flaws. I love you for the magical moments that you create, whether it's in class or on the sidewalk, going up to somebody and holding the door for them. She was like, "Just start being you." and I think through marriage, what I've learned a lot of is patience. I learned a lot of uh, listening and really actively listening was something that I've learned a lot of. And that's what's helped me, I think, in life Mm -hmm. is that I've kind of built a lot of friendships in the last four years since I've met my wife by listening and not having to enter a room and talk, talk, talk. It's kind of like go into the room and just seek to understand. Be a fly on the wall and be active. And sometimes you're going to learn more from that by somebody being able to vent everything they need to get out. You'll be like, oh, cool. They said like these three great things that like will resonate with me. And maybe if you don't agree with it, that's okay. But if you give people the space to talk, they're going to keep having you come back because they feel safe with you. I love
0: that. I love that for so many reasons. And it couldn't fall more in line with what mile 40 is all about. I mean, again, for all the listeners out there, a big premise of this show and where the heart of this show really lies is getting into and understanding what is beneath the surface of all these phenomenal guests. And today, I feel like we did that with you, Anthony. I felt like, you know, again, we understood where that segment at the end of class where you take us to reflect on ourselves came from it's not you know some sort of marketing play to get us to kind of think oh anthony does this weird thing at the end of class and this is why you should take his class it's rooted within and comes from uh an understanding that you know there's an art of humanity behind um the exercise and you know and that humanity um the thing that unites us is the fact that we all have individual adversities. And if we just take a second and seek to understand, we're going to be a lot more unified. And so thank you for giving me the perfect way to end this show. Uh, you know, and, and thank your wife for that. Uh, but I just want to say thank you, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for opening up, for being vulnerable um, and for letting us in on your life. I, I think there's a lot to take
1: away from here. So why well, want you to know I appreciate you for it. Appreciate you as well. And thank you for sharing your story as well. I think that's like listeners who are out there, like he's got a lot of, you know, layers and I think you guys need to to listen up as much as you can because he's got some good stuff.
0: Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the mile 40 family and let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.